thrill me. Black as midnight on a moonless night. Bitches leave. Groovy. Fucking hold up, hold up. Well then, there, motherfucker! It's got a death curse. Let's fuck! I'll fuck anything that moves! <laughs> Let's show this prehistoric bitch how we do things downtown. Forever deep! <laughs> oh, damn enchiladas! These guys are 11. Recording live from Franken-Con, I'm the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcasting, mouthpiece of the Southeast, your reigning and defending podcast champion of the world, Brandon A. Lane, host of the Ranch of the Black Lodge podcast, along with my cohort, my hetero life mate, Fat Tony! Yeah. champ, podcast champion of the world, and I have merchandise and proofs. But that's not why you're here. You're here to hear those velvety, silky tones of the man of your dreams who worked on all your favorite films, including Nightmares, Chainsaw-Wielding Maniacs, <laughs> Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo, and a couple oh. other good ones, too. Oh. The man, the myth, the legend, the bad boy of production as I give it up for Mick Strong! <laughs> I just say, come on, come on. You're, 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 a, you're, a, wonderful, you're a wonderful human being, but we, <laughs> to, Toby's got you be on every Yeah, no, that's not true. And, and, well, let's hear it for Toby. Because... <laughs> now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a couple of questions, then we're going to open up to our uh, our people out here in the audience, because Lord knows you've worked on like every film that I've ever loved, and I'm assuming the... People out here have seen quite a few of your films, even if they don't know you worked on them, because that's he, he doesn't remember some of the movies he worked on. True story. However, that's that comes with age. Trust me. I, I do have a bone. I have a bone to pick with you, and I figure, what, what better way to air our grievances than in <laughs> front of than, the, than in the pub than in the public eye? That's that's why oh, the, exactly. that's why the police are here to make sure that <laughs> our fisticuffs do not get out of hand. Mick was the very first inductee into the Ranks of the Black Lodge podcast, I Podcasting was. Hall of Fame. I was, and, and I have to say that I have taken, I have taken that skull with me everywhere since. But not your cards. Ooh. I, have my, I have my cards with me. Good it. job, good job. Okay, well those of you that do not have a mixed to credit card, please stop by his booth. But last year, the inaugural FrankenCon, my buddy Mixtron gets to come here and he's sitting across from me, so we, we exchange uh, loving glances throughout the day. I go over to his booth when I get the moment, and I say, listen, Mick, I've been on your podcast, you've been on my podcast, sure. we've, we've had this friendship that's bloomed into a, I mean, just short of a, a lover's romance. Just, 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 just shy. Just enough to be disturbing. <laughs> oh, it's definitely disturbing. And all I've asked for you is to hook me up with Darcy the male girl, and you completely dropped the ball on this. You worked with her on a film called Vengeance. I don't know if you've seen Friday the 13th Vengeance. Hey, hey, and I have to say something. When I got in, when I came in, uh, get that thing away from me. When I got into the building of FrankenCon last year, and Darcy, all of a sudden, I'm watching Darcy, and she's right next to me, and all of a sudden I realize, I go, hey, Wait a minute, we work together. And she goes, That's Mick, hi, 
And she comes over and she gives me a hug. And I am facing down that line of people that went out the door and around the building. And every guy that was in that line was staring daggers at me. I swear to God, I was sick for a week. Just from, just from their looks. So now that we've aired our grievances, I do want to tell a really quick, only knowing Mixtron as well as I do, that I witnessed this in real time, and I wanted to share it with each and every one of you, because... This is, this is why the police are here, because I saw Mick Strong commit thefts today. He comes in, I help him unload his car, out of the kindness of my heart, back-bending labor. I help him set his stuff up, and he has this big banner for his book, which is called... Behind the Screams. Excellent book. If you don't own it, stop by and yeah, check come it out. Yeah, come in. Hey, he says, check it out. you got to come see. Yeah, you got Kind of, I, I wrote a, the book is about Nightmare on Street Four, and you would love it. It really is. It's very good. Very good. You you read it? Is it good? It is. So I read it, and it's amazing. That's a, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Okay. And uh, I will tell my reading story, and then we're going to open it up to everybody. But before that, Mick is putting this thing up, and he doesn't have a stand for his banner, so he decides. Well, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go over to my buddy Jeff Burrs and take his stand. Fuck him. He doesn't need a banner. <laughs> so Jeff Burr comes in, and he kind of chit-chats with me for a couple of seconds. He doesn't know who I am, but I'm like, hey, uh, hey you know, Mick is away from his uh, thing. Oh, by the way, he stole your thing. And he's like, what? And I'm like, oh, no, never mind, never mind. I so I saw you commit theft. Okay, okay. Snitches get stitches. I had to, I had to I, resolve I to myself say, because I was an accessory to it. I, I, I have stolen a lot of things in my time. I, I used to say that uh, uh, major motion picture uh, film company going down the road was essentially just a series of minor felonies. And, <laughs> As it and, and let me tell you something. You have no idea how accurate that is. Let me tell my story real quick. So I meet Mick, we become friends, I get his book. And I don't know if you if you guys have met him before, but this guy spins a yarn like nobody else. And this book is just nothing but like banger mixed story after banger mixed strong story. I start reading it on the toilet. Not a good idea. I get hooked, and here we are like three hours later, and I have not wiped. I'm just sitting on the toilet, and I finish it. I was so engaged that I had to read this book in one sitting. I try to get up. My legs are dead. I crawl in the bathroom. And I lay in the ground for a while. I'm like, this is what Mick Strong's writing does to you. So if you want to lose control of your lower half, Mick Strong's book. And your bowels. Let's just say it. Let's just say it right this now. This is a 100% true story. I've known Brandon for almost 20 years. He actually told me this before anything. He's like, oh my god, dude. Almost I had to fall off the toilet to get up. So it's toilet. It's approved. Okay, I read now, it on the couch where I could get up and down. Hey, let me tell a story. You tell your story, homie. Here, what? sir. Take the microphone. Wait, 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 wait. You were going to prime me with a remember questions and shit like that? Yeah, that's why I've got this mic. God, these Come on. people want to know. 
So, I want a little bit of crowd participation from each and every one of you. I'm going to go down just the highlights of this man's career because if I were to tell you every single movie he worked on, we'd be here all day. Till well, probably next week because there's so many that he doesn't even remember working on. All right. Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4. Come on. You see oh, it? Yeah. yeah. The TV series. The TV oh, series. Yeah, but it's not theirs. A little bit of part five, but not as The teaser trailer, yes. <laughs> um, Texas Chainsaw Master 3. Hell yeah. <laughs> Director Jeff Burr is here. I just, I just stole his. I stole his stand. Literally, just worked with uh, R.A. Hell uh, on a film called Pig Hill. On Pig Hill. So Pig Hill, Pig Hill will be coming out, and you will uh, be seeing some more of my work. Damn right. And uh, go ahead. This man, this man has worked on not one but two Academy Award-winning films. Does anybody have any idea what those films are? It's weird. Academy one. Boogie Nights. Yes. Academy. Yes. Let's just stop the ridiculousness right now. Let's talk about Boogie Nights. So. Give him the mic. Stop doing that. Take over the mic. We need the Boogie Nights mic story. Do I need this? Yeah. Do I really need this? For Boogie Nights, you do. Okay. So. Yeah, because this is shaped like a penis. <laughs> I mean, let's let's be accurate here, right? So, on, <laughs> I did in between production design gigs, I did quite a few special effects gigs, and, and mostly it was mechanical effects, and uh, and bullet, that's bullet hits, and, and and in case anybody ever wanted, does anybody know what the uh, definition of an effect is uh, of a film effect? Because it's the same on cartoons as it is in real film, right? Okay, it's motion. I get this. It's motion that doesn't involve that doesn't involve a directed uh, uh, actor or a vehicle, right? So, so let me let me go down the line for you on that, just to explain the whole thing to you, because then a lot of this is going to make sense. So there are three divisions of, uh, of effects. There are mechanical effects, there's makeup effects, and there's optical effects. Optical effects have been taken over by CGI, and we kind of all know what that looks like. But think of what it is, is uh, optical effects, it's the spaceship, right? Moving through space. And because it's moving through space, it's called an effect. Uh, if, if I need to make a monster that's got a, a scar on a moving face, then that scar is, is an effect. If you're working on cartoons and like, um, to give you a really, like let's say that you were Gigantor and you were flying across the screen and the screen is zipping by like this, right? The people that do that zipping by are the effects people of cartoons. So that, that, so I'm working mechanical effects. Now mechanical effects are things like rain, because rain moves, uh, fire, uh, explosions, uh, anything that's mechanical that's on the set, like you know, if something is hydraulic and it needs to move or something like that. So I did mechanical effects on Boogie Nights. And the way that I got the film was is I had a place that I that was called FTS Effects, and FTX. FTS effects 
kind of worked as a broker for me because I would use them as a shop and I would I would then go do the film. Uh, I would do a film and, and I would bring all the work for the prep and stuff back to the shop and that was Lou Carlucci's shop. Lou Carlucci who was very famous from doing mechanical effects on the first Nightmare on Elm Street. So I I come by the office and, and the, uh, the secretary there says, oh Mick, there's a film, there's a film that, you know, if, you, if you're up for working for, you know, uh, a month or so, there's a film that's uh, come up and they're in the middle of the production meeting and it's across town. And here's the script. She hands me a script, I jump in my car and I jam across town. Now, there is kind of a, uh, what would you call Kind of the way that you deal with these things is if you are in the middle of the production meeting and the production meeting is where the first AD reads the entire script through page by page, right? And he'll read a scene and then the scene goes around and all the production, all the uh, heads of, uh, heads of uh, departments, you know, decide how they're going to deal with that scene and it goes all the way around the table, and then he goes on to the next scene. And if you are new to the process, if you are new, um, like you just got onto the show, then you walk in the door, and you go sit down, and you take your sh the script that you've got, and you put it on your lap, and you grab another script from the pile by the door, because there was always a pile by the door, and you put that in front of you, and you start to follow you know, the first AD. And I just got there as, as we we're just opening up, you know. And I, I put one the script on my lap, trying to get a couple of pages ahead, right? And I think that we got to like scene thirteen or something like that. And I'm looking down at the script, and the script says, "And then Dirk Diggler drops his pants, revealing a twelve-inch penis." And I was like. And I sort of got, I looked up with this look on his face. What the, what the hell is this? And, <laughs> and, and so, and the, the, the guy sitting right across from me is, is, a, uh, is the prop master. And I've worked with him before, right? And he, and he was just waiting for me to read that part, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he could see that I'm trying to get ahead. And, 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 I, and I sort of got, I look up like this, like, what the fuck? And, and he goes, yeah, and here it is. And he reaches down and he grabs this paper bag, slaps the paper bag down in front of 30 people and goes, what? And I sit there, I'm just staring at that going, huh, well, I guess we're not in Kansas anymore, right? And so, uh, yes. you guys got a minute? <laughs> so there's a scene where uh, where we had to, we had to shoot starring uh, starring uh, uh, bullet hits and starring bullet hits are uh, think of like the idea of a blow gun that you blow a little pellet and the pellet the pellet is a wax pellet and inside of it is blood. And you use it for uh, doing blood hits on skin. You know, when you can't, when you can't like put a squib or any of the rest of that. 
<laughs> Y'all picked a perfect mimic? I don't, I don't know if I picked the right story. <laughs> We're talking about Bodhi. But it's, it's a death scene, not in any other scene. <laughs> I was going to say, there is absolutely no way that I can clean this up. That's okay. Yeah? You know who she is, right? Yeah, I know who she is, and I know who you are, and I... Okay, because I'm talking about Boogie Nights here. Okay? Okay, so anyway. So... So, so anyway... This is incredibly awkward. So, anyway, so... I get stuck... We... Remember the scene in Boogie Nights? It's, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm kind of try, trying to restructure this, and I don't know how successful I'll I'm going to be. But I think, well, you know what? I will not be offended if in the middle of this you get up and leave, all right? Okay. I'll, I will understand, and we'll still be friends, right? Yes. Okay, okay. So, okay, Nicole, like, just, we'll still be friends after this, right? Yes. Okay, okay. So, anyway, <laughs> I... Uh, Remember the scene when Bill Macy gets out of the car and goes through the party, right? And he goes all the way through the party, da, 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 and he goes and he gets, and he goes down into a room, which is a small uh, laundry room, right? <clears throat> and and her uh, uh, his wife is uh, banging. Uh, he's getting banged by uh, essentially somebody who's hung like a building. How was that? that was, yeah, was, was that okay? Yeah. So, so, but, but let's just say this. The thing is, is I had to fire the styrene, the styrene pellets. There were three people that had to fire those little styrene pellets when Macy comes back in again and and shoots the the two right, and so. Basically, basically, we literally sat there, and that building that we just talked about, that building was right in front of my, 30 inches in front of my face for 16 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and and let's, let's just say that there was, fairly often, there was an application of lube to keep the building well painted. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Am I, am I doing okay? Am I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep this PG at all possible. So, so let's. So then, let's just say that I had problems with my own building for about three months. I needed a better architect. Okay, maybe maybe we steer the conversation. Question. Wait, wait. I think I deserve a hand for actually getting through that. I do. If any of you ever have questions you'd like to ask the great Mixtron, that guy's going to be around to give you the microphone, so please uh, raise your hands if you want to ask something. Anybody? All right, let's go. I'm coming, so I'm coming. I'm I'm coming. No, I have to. Tell, tell us your name. You gotta tell the ultra I, slime I, PA story for me. The what? The PA ultra slime story. Oh, that's my favorite. Thank uh, you. Ah, yes. Nightmare on It was Nightmare on Elm Street Four. <laughs> uh, during Nightmare on Elm Street Four, we, if you remember the orange slime uh, that uh, uh, 
Debbie was dealing with, right? You know, that, that, that stuff had just come out. And, and it was this thing called Ultra Slime. And Ultra Slime was the stickiest, basically what it was, it was something, that, it was a product that was made without any surface tension whatsoever. And because of that, even when you're using it in small mounts, you literally have to have like, a, if you're using it in big mounts, you need to have a machete standing by to cut it off of the lid as you take the lid off. That's how, that's how much this stuff strings out. Because you can take the lid off and you can literally walk like two miles away and it would just fall to you all the way. <laughs> so, so I wanted that effect. And, they, and I knew that they had this great stuff called Ultra Slime, and I ordered 50 gallons of it. And it had to come from Florida. And 50 gallons of it at that time cost just shy of $10,000, right? So I ordered it, and things back then you ordered, and like they showed up like six weeks later, right? So I ordered it pretty early in the production process, and it didn't get there until the day before we were shooting the, the cockroach sequence. So we, <laughs> I, it, it's finally, uh, it gets there in the afternoon and we set it aside and, and finally, you know, I get a chance to like go and start uh, collecting people and stuff. To, it, I collected somebody that was a PA and maybe at three o'clock in the morning. And I, and I say, hey, you know, this is, this is our project. And I had gotten him like a, a mixer that you use on drywall, right? You know, like those big big drill like this and then a four foot long paddle and, and all the rest of that. And, and, and I set that up for him uh, to, to mix it. And, and I put in a bunch of food dye. And, and I say, well, here's the idea. You're just gonna just, just mix this up until it's all that, that color. Well, what happened was, <laughs> What happened was it was not that. I went back to my office, and as I get in my office, all of a sudden I hear this screaming, Mac, Mac, Alexander, stop! And I'm like, okay, well that's probably not good. Especially <laughs> considering that, I mean, literally I'm, I'm 30 steps away from him, right? So I go running back down the hall, and I open up the door that he's, of this office that he's in, and he is covered head to toe in the slime because he had put the drill in and turned it on and it had crawled up the, crawled up the, no surface tension, right? You know, no surface tension doesn't really know what gravity is and it literally went up the tube and over him. And so now he's standing here and, and, and both of us are trying to clear his mouth so that he can breathe. And so we're and, and somehow or other, I talked this poor PA into standing there for two hours as we tried to scrape all of this stuff off of him because it cost me ten thousand dollars. <laughs> well, but and the worst thing is this, and I could care less about the ten thousand dollars, is it had to be on set in a, in like three hours or something like that, right? And so he stands here. He stands in the middle of like this big piece of plastic and we went all over with like Bondo scrapers and pieces of cardboard and stuff and we scraped all of that off of him and he left and you're not going to believe this but he never came back. <laughs>
And we put her on set, and everybody had a great time. <laughs> All right, anybody else got any questions? Oh, down here, our big winner last night. Give a round of applause for this. Woo! So I, I read the What's book. your name? My name's Griffin. Hi, Griffin. Everybody give Griffin a round of applause. Hey! I read the book. Yeah. And there was precisely one question that kept running through my head uh -huh. as I'm reading. Why? Where did you get all the Matchbox cars that you used to design the small scale junkyard? I just have to know. Did 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 everyone just raid their kids' toy boxes for them? Did you go and buy them? Where'd they you come know, from? Good question. Here, here's the thing about me, uh, me being who I am, is I have people around that just bring me things and I say, I need Matchbox. I need 350 Matchbox box cars, and I need them sitting on my desk in a half an hour, and then they make it happen. <laughs> and then I sat there for three days, and what I would do. What I would do is I would deal with people as I'm building that model, you know, because it had to be really specific. There were so many specific things that I needed out of it. I needed it. Uh, uh, I needed. Here's the thing about that scene: is the lighting of it is done with these rays of light, right? And in order to throw those rays of light, especially back then, is you had to get. You had to get 50 feet away from the light. And 50 feet away from the light, and you had to like train it down. In other words, you'd have to make it go through a whole bunch of different diopters of smaller things that shot through in order to in order to give that those great rays of light. And that was what we were lighting with. And so I had to make a model so that every scene in that junkyard scene would have the rays of light coming across it which it actually did. But that meant that there had to be room to put lights and you had to hide the lights within the process of putting together also all the rigging that had to go into it for the cars jumping out and stuff. And, and the rigging of actually making cars stand eight cars high in an earthquake zone that legally you can only make them two cars high. And so what we had to do was they had to weld the whole thing together. And um, it, it was quite a process. It, it, it took a, a, a really long time to do. But what I would do is I had this little rubber mallet <laughs> that was sitting on my desk and, uh, and a little piece of plywood. And, and one by one, I would take the cars out of the package and then I would crush it with my little mallet. <laughs> and then I would glue it in place according to... You know, and you've seen the... the, the there's a picture of the model in there. And, and the great thing is... is then that led to other arguments. Uh, so then I had to turn that model. Over. We used it to build to build our you know real scale in real life junkyard. And then I had to turn it over to optical people who had to make sense of it. And then and then uh, they had to make that the spinning world uh, come up like this, which was a huge argument that I had with the optical people because I said, look, here's the thing. Once uh, Kincaid is there in the middle of that, I want, the, I want the camera to come all the way up until it's the world. And so they, in two weeks, they sent us back a, uh, uh, an example of it that we got, got to see at, at, at a screening room. And it looked like it came up about 200 feet and the shot is done. 
And I was like, well, wait a minute. You need to come up. We need to come up further. It's supposed to be the world. And, and, and I had pictures that I had drawn of a circle of the world. And so he says, well, but we don't have enough money for that. And I said, well, you know, I'll give you $15,000 out of my budget because I was outrageously over budget already. <laughs> it didn't make any difference to me because uh, I, I know how to drive in no budget land. So, uh, so it comes back two weeks later and it, and it feels like it comes up like maybe another 200 feet. And, I said, and this time I went to his office and I, and, and I took a magic marker with me and I started drawing circles on his door, on the wall, on anything that was on his desk as I was, his, as I was just raking him over the calls going, do you not know what a freaking circle is? I wanted to come up like, and finally, I sure got him. Finally, he goes, look, Nick, you just don't know what you're doing. And I go, uh, excuse me? He goes, look, Mick, look. This is a matter of physics. And I go, physics? He goes, yeah. He said, look, if you were to come, if you were to start up on a rocket, and I thought, oh, God, here we're in untested territory. If you kind of started up on a rocket and you started going up, and this is, this is a problem that I've had with every optical effects person in CGI, person in the world is they think that they are smarter than everybody else, right? And so he said, if you started on a rocket and you started up, it would take you like uh, an entire day to get to the point to where you look down and you could see the whole earth. And I go, wait a minute. You're telling me, you're telling me that in Freddy world, I have to worry about physics too? I said, tell you what, you just make sure that in the end it's round and we're going to be fine. Otherwise, we're going to have some problems. And then I left, and then they they changed it. And the thing is, the thing that's funny is the way that you had to do things back then is you literally had to film it. So every time they stopped, you could literally see that they. So if you really look closely at the film, you can see it come out. And then there's a square, that's where they stopped the first time, and then it, comes, it keeps coming out, and then you can see another ghost line of, a, of, of a, uh, the diagonal of, their, of how far they went, and then you can see it, and then it finally becomes a real world. So, you know, there's one for real world. Well, I do have to say, the physics of that always took me out of that movie, and that's, you know, it just ruined the whole illusion. I was just about to hear you around. That's one of my favorite shots, dude. Right, yeah. Well, you know, that's because you don't know anything about physics. I don't. <laughs> the earth is round. I learned it from Big Strong. <laughs> I've heard it. I've heard it's black. Yeah, yeah somehow <laughs> we, got, we got there in less than two days. So, hey. Uh, <laughs> right? Another one of the movies that Mick worked on uh, was a trailblazer in the world of comic book movies because now we live in a world where there's one like every 20 seconds. Which they really, two. he really kicked, really kicked it off with the movie Blade, and I wanted to wait. Hold on, hold on. Okay, you did Fantastic Four, but uh, that movie didn't uh, get released. Uh, 
Yeah, right. Yeah, but we're talking the first good comic book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's charming and quaint. Oh, that was, okay, that was, now I got to go. It's incredibly hurtful. The first R rated comic book movie. Uh, there we go. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Deadpool. Uh, it's the same. So you had a question. He got you. He got you. Don't fuck Alright, so. You, you've told me a lot of hilarious things that happened on the set of Blade. Yeah. Um, some of them that um, you've probably told on multiple podcasts, which I don't know if you guys know, Mick has an excellent podcast called Dream Warrior Review. So if you're not subscribed to that, yeah. please do so. Because if you're not tired of me talking by now, weirdly enough, it's a food podcast. Go listen to but Vic, if you'd be so kind, tell our audience about the specific encounter with a PA and Mr. Wesley Snipes yes. from your band. Oh my God! <laughs> that's a weird. That, 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 that's weird. So, <laughs> yeah, memory serves as memory serves. So, uh, we had. We had this thing with Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes would walk would come on to set uh, with his entourage. And he had he had a, a fairly good-sized entourage. And everybody would uh, walk, maybe come, they'd get back about you know, 10, 15 feet, and they would walk together up, up to the center of the set. They'd walk up, and he'd go right on. And then they would all raise in the black power salute, which, honestly, God, I hadn't seen since, like, 1972. And it just surprised me that anybody still remembered that, right? And so, so you get, so here's the thing about working on a film crew, is you just get used to whatever, right? I mean, just whatever it is, and you immediately forget about it, and you go on working your day, right? It doesn't affect you, and you're just... Just continue. So uh, every every day he would start out the day exactly like that, right? So one day we're on the day shift and we're lo- we are loading, and I wasn't on the film for long, but we were loading. Uh, I had done the blood sequence. Uh, I had engineered all that. The best sequence in the movie. <laughs> Don't be so humble. Anyway, I I, I, I was the one that engineered all that and. and so the, I stayed on for a little bit, and I did a bunch of bullet squibs on a rooftop. Now, here's the, the weird thing about it was is it was an L.A. rooftop of about 10 stories, and next to it was a 12-story building, and these are all old, funky buildings, and, and you literally got onto this rooftop by going through the building next door that was two, two stories high, higher, right? And then you would walk down these steps, and, and you would be on that rooftop. And so... We're done with the day. We completely loaded this whole sequence up on the rooftop, and we're headed out for the day. And we climb the steps, and and we get up on this uh, other rooftop, and we look down, and sure enough, it's the beginning of the night, and and uh, uh, Wesley Snipes gets gets his group together up on the edge of the roof, back over here, and they're going to do their walk in and their and the salute, and I, 
And, and we're just sitting out here and we're talking back and forth. And we see him walk in, walk in with his entire group and they, they plant themselves and he goes right on. And all of a sudden, this, this PA, this brand new spanking, still had that new PA smell and everything, uh, comes little tiny guy comes running across the set and he comes up and he goes right up, right up to Stipes and he goes right on, brother! And I swear to God, the joy of looking down and seeing an entire film crew trying to find somewhere else to look. <laughs> I mean, just getting everybody to go, oh my God! You know, just... What? It was it was the best thing ever, and we started to crack up. And I I swear to God we were in the elevator riding down. We were oh it was like it was like one of those laugh fits where you just couldn't even get your breath as you oh. still a joy. And and I I have yet to animate that one, but I am someday going to animate that. Please one. please <laughs> please do. So if you want to be in the fraternity of Big Strong's inner circle, you just come up to him and go. I swear, I, I swear you, you have no idea how many people uh, uh, across the United States come up to me and go, right on, brother! <laughs> Alright guys, we got time for probably a couple more questions. Alright, down here, I'll, I'll do Fat Tony's job. It's a tiny girl's bladder. He had to go take a whiz. Please tell everybody your name, sir. Yes. Hey, I'm Brandon. Uh, so, that's Everybody's Brandon. Yeah, here. well, I'm... I'm the better Brandon, oh. and, uh, oh, <laughs> okay, I'm the second best Brandon in yeah. the uh, so here in the chat, yeah, I'm 1B, the best one, B for best, uh, so here you worked on the Corman Fantastic Four, is, I didn't know that, that's really exciting, I never get to hear anyone talk about that, because it's so buried, uh, so deep, however, uh, also hearing you making fun of the opticals, that for me that that stands out as one of like, just a fond memory of just an awful optical effect with the human torch flying through the air and just getting railed over and over again in the rear end by that laser. <laughs> I have to say, uh, yeah, go ahead, yeah, keep going. But I want to say, even though the optical, and you're free to comment on that, but um, I, I want to say I always thought that the the practical effects in that were very, very good. So anything you had to I thought share the look, in that production. I, I thought that the, the look of it was amazing. Uh, for and, and I have to tell you this. I think that that was a direction that we could have, and if we hadn't done it so cheap, you know. It, and the thing is, they say that Corbin spent uh, a million dollars on it, and... Uh, yeah, if, if, if he spent 20000 on it, I would be just amazed, you know. Uh, but the, the thing is, is I thought that I achieved a look that was kind of actually like a comic book, right? Yeah. And, and I knew that the uh, guy who was doing the uh, CGI effects was just a tool. I mean, he was, after, he was, oh God, he would, he would promise anything. And then I would say things like, well... How are we going to set up for you? Oh, we don't need reactive lighting or anything like that. You know, we don't, we'll just do it all, all in CGI. And I was like, and at that point, nobody really even knew what CGI was, right? And I might add, including him. <laughs> so what I did was, during that, is I went in and I started making miniatures in my garage uh, that, because he, 
specifically because he said we didn't need them. Because, as I said, he was a tool. So, uh, let me let me tell you what I did on the weekends while I was sh while I was doing that show. I built the extension for uh, the lair uh, for Doom's castle. I did the bottom extension for uh, the um, what was the character's name? Uh, uh, the mole man. I did the bottom extension for mole man. Um, I did the uh, the optical roof that went out like this as I built that and then I directed the show I directed all the parts for that including the newspaper spin-ons now the, this, this is just a little side just a little side giggle this is a little side giggle for everybody so I thought to myself you know the way that they do those spin-ons right you know the newspaper spin-ins yeah. Oh, Mole Man discovered underneath, um, you know, Brandon's butt, right? Which Brandon? I seen it. Oh, you think I wasn't talking about him? Brandon's butt. Brandon's butt. <laughs> so anyway, the thing is, is the way that those spin-ins are done, they're done in reverse because you need to know what the, you need to know how the paper is going to land. So you film it, and you film it in reverse. You just take literally. It's like you you take a uh, uh, a black curtain and you uh, uh, put a, a a drill with a rod and you and you put it to a, a, a placard that you put the newspaper on and you spin it, okay? And then you run that in reverse. So you get it to your final get it to your final position, and then you run it, and then it's going to come back to that. And I and so. We were in the meeting for that, and, and I'm directing that, and the rest of the, and and that shot was on the list. And I said, okay, well, and I explained how to do it. And the camera guy, cameraman goes, we can't do that because we don't have a reverse bag for the camera, right? And I said, well, that's not a problem. We'll just turn the camera upside down. <laughs> now, and he goes, he, he does, he gives me this look. He goes. No, well, that would work. I don't know. It's it's exactly the same thing. You know, no, it isn't. So, no, actually, it, it it actually is. And and so we had a we had an argument. We had an argument, and he won because the DP always everybody assumes the DP knows everything. And what we all come come to learn in life is that DPs are just you know autistic people that don't know that much, but uh, <laughs> but they mumble a lot. And you don't understand them, you assume that, well, it's because they're DP. So, anyway, so he wins the argument. They take it off the schedule. And then I go, well, wait a minute. I said, let me show you something. And I go, and at that time, the editing, the place that they edited the film was right there on the same sad-ass little uh, old lumber company lot that uh, Corman had. And I said, hey, give me a piece of film. And the woman that's in there goes, uh, what do you need? I said, any scene. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Just any scene. I need, a, I need a piece of film about that long. And she goes, okay. And she gives me a piece of, you know, a, a film with a, some little bit of a scene. So, and here, you can hold that. So I, <laughs> so I walked up to him. So I walked up to the DP and I go, okay, well, look. He said, 
Now, see, this is the film, okay? And you go like this, right? See? And then all we have to do is turn it over, and then we see like this. And I'm waving around the film over my head. Okay, let me just tell you. You don't see dick like that. I mean, it, 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 there's just no way that persistence of vision can be explained by somebody waving a piece of film in front of your face, but he didn't know that. And so I say, it's just like this. He said, see? And I handed it to him. <laughs> and I sort of got, all I could think of in my head was, you're doing a scene off of the Emperor's New Clothes, aren't you? <laughs> and he looked at me, and I could tell for a moment, and then he went, yeah, no, I see what you mean. <laughs> and he walks off. So, so we put it back on the schedule, and I figured that that's the end of it, right? It comes to be the end of the day, and we're going we're gonna to be filming the next day. And, and like that, I did that like at noon or something. It comes to be like 6 o'clock in the night, and we're getting ready to go. And my art director walks in, and he goes, you know, he says, the weirdest fucking thing has been going on around here. And I'm almost sure. I mean, especially knowing you, I'm 100% sure that you had something to do with it. And I go, what? And he goes, well, people keep walking around with this piece of film and waving it around like this. And he says, and I just don't fucking get it. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, that was me. Sorry. All right, guys, we have time for one last question. Who's it going to be? Here we go. So I know that. Sorry, Timothy. The name's Timothy. Name's Timothy. I have a question about Nightmare 4. Huh? Uh, I know it was like controlled chaos. Um, uh, okay, controlled, right? Um, fair enough. Okay. And uh, I know that a lot of the sets had to be built really quickly, and there's a lot of problems you had to figure out, you know, as, as it came. Uh, what would you say is the closest call for real danger that you saw on that film? That's a good question. Real danger, real danger. Well, we almost drowned everybody in the uh, in the waterbed. <laughs> I mean, literally, the, the waterbed was a J tube, and 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 the and it's really funny. It's because of all the people to like go through a sequence like that. It had to be Joe, right? Ira Ira Hayden, right? No, Rodney Eastman. Rodney Eastman. Rodney Eastman. It had to be Rodney Eastman of all freaking things because I have tortured Rodney Eastman so many times on Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And then he comes to Nightmare on Elm Street 4 and I try to drown him. <laughs> and, the, and the thing is, is like, uh, there were, it finally took uh, our stunt coordinator uh, uh, to get really pissed off and come up and say, you know, we have had too many close calls on this set, you know, uh, so so we're just walking away from it. So, Isn't that clip on YouTube, like a guy yeah. really pissed? Yeah, that's Rick, yeah, that, yeah, that, that, that's Rick, yeah, yeah, and and the thing is, is I, I, I'm not 100% sure that Rennie Harlan uh, at that point in his career was any good at directing, because... <laughs> Well, he was new, and and uh, and the thing is, is on that film, it was kind of built by the crew, and then we invited him in to kind of say rolling, 
And then he would say rolling and then cut, and then we'd like just kind of like go on and do what we're doing. And, and, and he would say things, but absolutely nobody gives him. Pat on the head, you know. Yeah, job, yeah, he'd say thanks. <laughs> thanks for coming by. And we'd send him out with the same two blondes that he came in with. I, I, I ate two blondes. Good, job. Good for I'm him. just saying, I mean, he literally showed up like every day with a couple of beautiful women on his, on his arms, right? You know? And, and, and you know, that's it, it's funny because you lack respect for somebody. Uh, uh, unless, of course, they're really beautiful and they affect your building. Hi, it's Steve Ivan as a fullback. How's that? Hey, guys. Hey, Jim. Give a big strong round of Amazing. Thanks, guys.